Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. This is a Vault Studios production. Hey, Bardstown listeners. This is Shay McAllister, along with Jessica Knoll. We've gotten so much feedback and questions along the way, and today we wanted to spend some time answering some of those questions. We're joined this week by Vault Studios executive producer, Will Johnson. Well, Shay and Jessica, thank you so much for letting me join the show today and talk to you about some of the many questions that listeners have had along the way. We've had phone calls. We have questions on social media. Jessica and Shay, you both have a presence on Facebook and elsewhere, and I know people have been writing in and asking a lot of questions and a lot of people are just appreciative of the fact that we've covered these cases. Shay, you, you know, you, you've been right in the mix in all of this all along the way. And I, I mean, the outpouring of, in a lot of ways, gratitude, but also just, I think, appreciation, again, for shining a light on these cases, hoping something will come out of all this. We have had so many people be so grateful just for the fact that more people are learning the victims' names and especially the family, which makes us so happy. You know, that is the whole idea behind this is to find answers. And I think everybody really thinks that this could be something that makes a difference. It's been really cool to hear. All right. I'm going to put you both on the spot here. We'll start listening to some questions. And I'll also read some of the questions that have come in, uh, text messages and otherwise. This first caller from uh, North Carolina. Hi, guys. This is Shelley. I'm calling from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And I had a question regarding Brooks. Uh, running for sheriff. I wanted to know if you spoke to Sherry about um, him running and anyone in the community and how his campaign and running for sheriff affected uh, the community in any way. Um, Also curious to know how he marketed himself um, for sheriff, considering he's the lead suspect um, for Crystal's murder. So anyway, yeah, that's my question. And uh, thank you guys so much for all that you're doing. Bardstown is one of my favorite podcasts ever. Thank you. All right. So uh, Brooks Houck, uh, of course, named the suspect in the disappearance of Crystal Rogers. And we do mention the fact in in the podcast that he runs for sheriff. Shay, do you have more details on, on that sheriff campaign? Did it go very far? So the sheriff campaign was back before Crystal went missing. And she was in full support of him running for sheriff. Actually, Crystal Rogers' Facebook still has pictures of him running for sheriff on it. So she was a big supporter of that. It was when they were still a family. And we discovered that when our producer, Spencer Brudig, actually was just scanning through social media and found that. And before then, I had never even heard that he was running for sheriff or heard about his campaign So we thought that, I mean, Jessica and I both were like, wait, what? And then Jessica, what was that, his motto or his newspaper quote that just made us stop on our tracks? Yeah, the the quote in the Kentucky Standard was, it was time for fresh new blood. Which kind of is just interesting. Now, all things considered, you know, he's a few years later named the main suspect. 
in a case. So, but I don't, people talk, I mean, we talked to a few different people about that campaign. And I think at that time, it didn't seem unusual or unfitting. You know, it was, people seemed open to the idea. Of course, he didn't get elected, but it wasn't, it wouldn't be like how it would be now that we know everything um, and how he's being considered a main suspect in a case. I think it'd be a lot different if he tried to do that now. In an ironic twist, the man who was actually elected during that uh, time was the man who then named him the prime suspect a few years later. All right, we will go to another call. And, you know, we actually got calls from all over the country. This one is from close by, not far away from Bardstown in Louisville. Yes. Hi, this is Laura Roberts, and I live in Louisville, Kentucky, and I have been listening to the podcast. And the question that I have is that so far, uh, no one has mentioned any of Crystal's girlfriends. She she must have had some girlfriends. They talked about how she got together with her friends. And so why no, none of them have been interviewed and why, you know, they have not come out to say uh, what has happened or what their theories are. And the other thing is, is that evidently she had more than one other uh, man in her life, uh, other than Brooks, Hauk, and I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, she might have had, uh, there might have been a couple of different fathers to her other four children, and there has not been any talk about those men and uh, why they have not been a suspect. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for this opportunity for feedback. I do want to point out that um, I was in contact with Crystal's ex-husband, and his mother, um, early on, she had said that she would talk to us, but then decided against it for medical reasons. Um, but her ex-husband, the father of one of her children, did not want to did not want to talk to us. Um, uh, and his mom said that he's a very private person. So we actually didn't talk to them. And as far as we know, law enforcement has never named any of those other men um, as any kind of suspect in her case. And I think with the friends, uh, Crystal was, as her mom described her, all about her kids. And she lived for those kids. She was a full-time mom, but she worked. And I think that she was close with her sister and would spend time with her sister and maybe her sister's friends. But I, I really think a lot of her time was with her kids and her family and with Brooks. I mean, that's the impression I get. Jessica, did you get that impression? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they were a very, very close-knit family. Um, they did everything together. So I think her friends were her family. Um, not that she didn't have friends outside of that, but um, for our purposes, I think to tell Crystal's story, we wanted to talk to those closest to her, and that was her family. I want to highlight that all of these cases are open investigations. Jessica, we reached out to multiple law enforcement agencies. We were not able to get all of the records that would certainly help tell this full story. Right. Well, we requested dozens and dozens of different documents and parts of the case file. Um, so what we were denied from those open records requests um, made it a little more challenging to tell some of these stories. Um, but when you have open cases, um, there's a reason why law enforcement do not give those out to the public, you know, especially when you have a suspect in mind. Um, you don't want to give the information that you have out there 
and basically tip your hand to what you know in, in the investigation. So we've requested everything that you could possibly think of with these cases. Um, and so what we were able to to get was really those interviews with law enforcement to tell us anything that they could along the lines of these cases. But, you know, that that might be one of the more frustrating aspects of all of these cases is that being open investigations, those records have not been made public. It almost seems like at this point in time it would be helpful. Shay, you cover a lot of cases where people have gone missing uh, in Kentucky and in the area or, or, or have been killed. Eventually, are those records released even if it's an open investigation or are they always kept closed? No, I mean, it definitely varies department to department. But for the cases we cover, a lot of them are cold cases. It's been five or more years since since the um, people went missing or were murdered. So typically, police and investigators are really open with us and they want to share as much as they can in hopes that something might stir up someone's memory, might make someone think about something differently. And so it's unusual. We find that usually when cases aren't, they aren't finding answers, they are more willing to share, but definitely not in these cases. And I also want to point out as, you know, Shay and I both investigate cold cases. These aren't cold cases. So a cold case is when there are no more leads coming in. Everything has dried up. They have nowhere to to turn in these cases. And so these cases are not just open, but they're not cold, even with the oldest being six years old. So it definitely depends on not just the department, but how many years they're, they've gone unsolved and if they consider them cold cases. And these are not in that category. I want to go back to the first case that we talk about, the murder of Officer Jason Ellison. We have a caller with a question about about that case. Hi, this is Julie Waller calling from Indianapolis, and I had a question regarding Jason Ellis's case. So it was said that he did not call in the down branch on the exit. So I was wondering how the police were able to establish that someone was lying in wait by the branch for him. Thank you very much. Bye. So I'm not sure that's actually the case. We we know that somebody wasn't actually lying in wait by the branches. They were off to the side of the road. Uh, thoughts about that question? The theory is that there there was someone um, lying in wait for Officer Jason Ellis when he was getting off, mostly because the limbs that were placed in the middle of the road were freshly cut and placed— you know, it was 2 a.m. in the morning. The traffic on Bluegrass Parkway is non-existent. It's very desolate that time of night. Um, so the theory is not ours. It's actually from law enforcement that, and especially Chief McCubbin, who believe that someone was waiting for him to get off that exit. Another question related to Jason and actually also to Tommy, and it goes back to this question of the case, all of the cases being open investigations. What do we know about the bullets and the gun that shot Jason Ellis and Tommy? Well, in Jason's case, we know that it was a 12-gauge shotgun. Shay, you could probably better answer uh, what what type of weapon was used in, in Tommy's death. Well, um, as far as I know, police have never released what kind of weapon was used in his death. Tommy's investigation has been the most under wraps and closed out of all of them. 
And so it, I mean, and we talk about it, how they hardly even mention that it is a homicide investigation. So police, I mean, they have revealed so few details on all of that. I think we know it was a single shot, but I don't think that they've ever told us what kind of weapon was used. You hear from Chief McCubbin in the podcast and someone, he was actually retired at that point from Bardstown Police Department. And he got a phone call about Tommy getting shot and his immediate reaction was, oh my God, this is just like Jason. So I don't know if that has any um, value in the investigation or not, whether or not they were uh, similar weapons, but it was the way that he was shot from afar and possibly off the Bluegrass Parkway that made him think that. We have a question here on social media, on Facebook, both of the men, and in this case meaning Jason Ellis and Tommy Ballard, were killed off the Bluegrass Parkway. Were they in the same spot? Uh, I would say they were certainly not in the same spot. Can you give listeners an idea of how far away they were? Well, Tommy Ballard was not killed on the Bluegrass Parkway. He was killed on his private property, his family farm. Is that off the Bluegrass or is it nearby? It butts up to the Bluegrass. I mean, one one property line um, is near the Bluegrass Parkway. But it's 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 also miles away from where Jason Ellis got off on exit 34. All right, we have another phone call and a question about the Tommy Ballard case. This is Scott from Barstown, and I did have a question about the case, and thank you guys for putting this together. But my question is, what is Nick and Brooks' alibi when Tommy was murdered? That is a great question, and I too would love the answer to that question. No, we don't. Um, Nick and Brooks have never taken that question from us. Police have never considered, or at least never told us that they consider Brooks or Nick any kind of suspect in Tommy's case. So they have not provided us with any information on that. But wow, I think um, that is an excellent question. And Jessica, it's one that you could have probably asked had you had the opportunity to ask some questions about these cases with with Brooks or Nick Houck, as we've heard in uh, one of our episodes. You were able to reach both of them. Neither were willing to talk in any detail. Right. I did talk to both of them. Um, mostly, I wanted to ask them about the Crystal case, just because they that Brooks has been named as prime suspect. So I wanted to talk to them about that. Um, but as you heard, um, they didn't even want to talk about that. And I did talk to the Kentucky State Police uh, specifically about Tommy's case, and they're not even pointing to a suspect publicly yet. So I don't even know if they've questioned the Hauk brothers or if they consider them suspects in in his death. The terrible murders of Kathy and Samantha Netherland are in many ways, they, they feel like they are not connected. We don't have any proof that they're connected or not connected, but we don't have, again, a lot of information on that case or that investigation. Is that right, Shay? Right. That would be the case that we know the least about, partially because the family has wanted to remain private throughout. They have done very few media interviews, and um, I think they are they they have handled the cases differently than some of the other families that have been more outspoken, sharing everything they know. 
I think that the Netherlands decided as a family that they were just going to hold the stories close to them and, you know, put their faith in the police that any answers will come from the investigation and not from the media and the public. So we definitely know the least about that one. And there's also been a lot of speculation. Um, it's even on social media. I was looking at some some things this morning on the Gone Cold page and on the Unsolved Insider page. Um, people really want to connect their cases in some way to the, to the other cases in Bardstown. Um, you know, Kathy was a special education teacher at Bardstown Elementary, um, and Samantha was at the age where she would could babysit children. Um, and so there's been a lot of speculation that possibly Kathy taught uh, Jason Ellis's son and that maybe they babysat for Crystal's children or Jason Ellis's children. And the family has actually posted on the Justice for Kathy and Samantha page on Facebook that they did not babysit for either of those families and that Kathy did not teach um, Jason's son. So they're saying that they're, they did not know the other victims um, and that there is no connection in that way. When you look at a small town like this with this number of unsolved cases, just one case would be enough to get people talking, would be enough to get a rumor mill going, would be enough for maybe conspiracy theories, whatever you want to call them. Police have to chase the facts, but they also follow up on rumors. Shay and Jessica, you have both been able to spend a fair amount of time digging into, looking at, and coming across what we might call conspiracy theories. Can we talk about that a little bit without getting specific? Because I think part of the aim of our podcast was not to go chasing all of those. We wanted to talk about them a little bit, let people know that they're out there. People can certainly dig into them and read a lot, but we are reporting on what we know. And I think giving a voice to some of those theories was important for this story because those theories are out there. The rumors are out there and law enforcement doesn't ignore those rumors. You know, they're, they're just like any other tips and they have to follow up on those, uh, which, you know, when we talk to the sheriff, that can be really difficult because it muddies the waters a lot when they're investigating these cases. And so for us, we wanted to hear all the facts of the cases that we could possibly get our hands on, but also talk to some folks who had some ideas that maybe weren't necessarily factual, but we wanted to give them a voice because they kind of represented some of the well-known theories that buzz around town that, you know, when Spencer and I went back this last time for the Bourbon Festival, I can't tell you how many people we talked to um, that that listen to the podcast and were discussing all these theories with us, but they won't talk on the record out of fear. Um, so these theories that some of the people in the podcast talk about, it's not just that person. These are very well-known and well-regarded ideas that a lot of people in that town and in that county have about the people involved in these cases. Yeah, I think a lot of people lean on theories because they believe that there has to be an explanation. 
that there's just no way in their sweet small town Kentucky, all of these horrible things could have happened without reason. And so I think a lot of people want to tie the cases together and they want to say who did what, when, and why, just to give it some reason. I think it's, and maybe not comforting, but it helps people in town to cope with the fact that this is the reality there, that maybe if they can put some reason to it, you know, it it makes them feel like they're not in danger. They don't have to be afraid because they're not tied to this certain thing or this certain story. And I also think that the the lack of answers this community is getting from law enforcement, they start to create their own answers. You know, one of my favorite voices in the podcast, people, if you will, just for her gusto alone is the psychic medium that we bring in. But bringing in a psychic on a murder investigation or multiple cases, even though she wasn't officially involved, but that idea, that concept, that approach is not unheard of, right, Shay? Yeah, right. Not only for us, but for the family. I know Sherry Ballard has talked to many different psychics mediums about what could have happened to her family, and she follows up on what they say, and she brings it to police and asks, could this be true? Have you looked into this? I think that for a lot of people, it's some form of answers or maybe a new tip. And of course, you can't validate everything that is said, but it's interesting to hear from them. We have another phone call, and I want to go back to the disappearance of Crystal Rogers and that case. And I believe the one person who served any time in any of these cases is Danny Singleton. Uh, This caller has a question about him. Why wasn't his jail sentence more than this time served? I'm talking about the Singleton guy with the line to the grand jury. Thank you. That was a prosecutor decision. And I think that the Commonwealth's attorney at that time was eager to get some sort of closure in at least some portion of Crystal's case. And so, you know, he was open to making that sort of deal. And then ultimately, the judge would decide on how many, um, how much time he would get. And I'm right in saying that Danny Singleton and those perjury charges against him, he's the only one who served time related to any of these cases, right? So the perjury charges were actually lessened to lying uh, to the grand jury. So his his sentence, what could have been, if it had been perjury, would have been uh, possible years in prison, was lessened to 360 days in prison, and he got time served. So he actually only spent a few months in, in jail. And just to remind our listeners, he was an individual who was connected to Brooks Howe, did some work for him, actually, according to Sherry, gave Crystal Rogers rides. Uh, and then uh, he was questioned by a grand jury. And our understanding is that, you know, he, he claimed he was somewhere else when Crystal Rogers disappeared, right? Yeah, he was saying that he was in Louisville at the time of her disappearance um, out at a bar. And then it was later determined that <clears throat> he was actually at home at that time. He is a longtime friend, employee, and tenant of Brooks Houck. We have another question here that uh, a listener wrote in. I'm just curious how the person who shot Tommy knew where he would be. Did someone tip them off? I doubt we have an answer for that. Yeah, Sherry actually said it was an unusual day for him to go out hunting the day that he did. And so um, I don't know. I don't know that she would even know how he was planning to be there. We talk about the connection to drugs in Bardstown. 
Uh, Shay, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Again, it's a it's a theory. It might be you know, considered a rumor, what have you. But this idea that maybe some of the victims were too close uh, to something or they came across something or knew about something. Again, there's no evidence, nothing factual, but that theme of drug activity lingers in Bartstown. Well, on the most basic level, Officer Jason Ellis did investigate drug cases. You know, he worked with his canine trying to get drugs off the street. So that is, you know, a fact that we do have. We know that that was a big part of his work on a daily basis, was trying to get drugs out of Bardstown. But a little bit deeper, Bardstown has a long history with drugs, you know, going back to the Cornbread Mafia. And there's a lot of talk always in all of these cases on how everyone could have been connected to something or could have known too much about something. But there's no evidence, at least none that has been shared with us on how those connections really fit together. But Bardstown has definitely always been known to have some drug issues and really Kentucky in general. You know, we, we report on a lot of that all the time in the rural areas, especially. Jessica, you spoke with Amy Ellis after Jason Ellis was murdered. Did that ever come up in your conversations with her? Um, I believe that I did ask her, you know, was there any kind of case that he was investigating that, may have led to um, killing him. Uh, But he didn't really share uh, his work with her. He didn't share the cases he was investigating with her so that I think so she wouldn't worry. Um, So she really didn't have any idea of a connection with drugs um, or or anything like that uh, with his death. Jessica and Shay, there have been other cases, other murders, in Bardstown, in Nelson County, I should say. Uh, early on, I believe in the first episode, we talked to a gentleman named Michael Unseld, who, Jessica, you came across. His father was killed in Bardstown, actually in an apartment above a bar. Uh, again, an unrelated case to the ones we talk about. Has there been any developments on that case? Yeah, there's actually been two arrests, uh, and two men have been indicted in his father's um, murder. Shay, as you say in our last episode, if hearing these cases, knowing about them, and hearing that they are unsolved makes our listeners frustrated or angry, we we understand that. I, I think we feel the same way. Our hope is, again, shedding a light on these cases, talking about them might help change that someday. Of course, that's the hope. You know, when every new person hears this, there's a chance that they know something that maybe police don't. So we desperately hope that we've shed some new light on some of these cases, that maybe they get to the right ears and someone says something that changes them and finds answers. Jessica, you talked about going back to the Bourbon Festival, and we have a bonus episode where we we play some of the interactions and some of the interviews you had with people in town for the Bourbon Festival. But that happened in the middle of our podcast, and it seemed like a lot of people in town were paying attention to the podcast, knew about it, and there was a real buzz if there isn't already one in Bardstown and Nelson County. Absolutely. Um, you know, we had people coming up to us on the streets, um, thanking us for doing the podcast and telling these stories and, and keeping their names out there. That's to this community. That is what is so important is that people don't forget. And 
having folks come up to us while we were there and tell us that and tell us thank you so much for for doing this it really validates what we have tried to do with this podcast um it's about telling their stories and hopefully like Shay said that right person who knows something is going to be compelled to come forward and give the information they know and hopefully solve one or more of these cases. Shay and Jessica, thank you so much for spending time with us on this episode. Shay, you also host an investigative series, right, at WHAS in Louisville covering other cases. Right. It's called Unsolved, and it's cases just like these and even older where there's family members who want answers, police that admit they need help, and we try to shed some new light on them, show some of the evidence, make more people aware. It's called Unsolved, and if you don't live in the area and you don't watch on TV, you can join our Facebook group. It's called Unsolved Insiders, and that's where we talk about everything. Our next big project is actually Bardstown, so if you loved the podcast and you want to see some of what you heard, definitely join Unsolved Insiders because we will get all of the videos up there and we're looking forward to working on that. Jessica, you also have a, a Facebook group where people are talking about these cases and you're working on a uh, an online story as well that people can dig into. Right. So on Facebook, we have a group called Gone Cold where we discuss cold cases like these, um, unsolved cases like these and other cold cases from around the country. Um, we also talk about some of the cases in our other podcast, True Crime Chronicles. But for Bardstown at bardstownpodcast.com, we will soon have a full-length digital story that will have just about every piece of uh, media, photos, videos, um, documents, evidence that we've been able to acquire, you will be able to dig into for yourself um, in the next few weeks. All right. So you can go to Bardstown Podcast today and you can find episodes and a description of, of, of the podcast. But there will be much, much more coming. So if you really want to dig in further on these cases, you can do so. Uh, Jessica and Shay, I w- should also mention that family members, also former Bardstown Police Chief Rick McCubbin, have chimed in on some of these Facebook pages. Am I right? Right. On Unsolved Insiders, a lot of the people who are in the podcast are actually on the pages and they'll answer questions. And they just did that on their own. I think that they followed the cases closely. The former police chief, Sherry Ballard, Crystal's mom and Tommy's wife, they want to know what everyone thinks and are open to seeing if there's anything new. And so they have taken questions and answered questions. So it's been really interesting to watch as people present new ideas or theories, how they react and respond to them. All right, Jessica and Shay, I want to thank you both for being a part of this episode and, of course, bringing us Bardstown. If any new updates come along, we will, of course, add it to the podcast feed. Listeners, thank you for joining us, for being a part of this podcast. And before we let you go, we want to tell you about a new podcast from Vault Studios. It's a collaboration with WKYC Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. In October 1989, an 11-year-old girl went to school in a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. Went to class, talked, and laughed with friends. She was in the room when a police officer told her about stranger danger. But she never came home that day. She never came home at all. You know, she was lured to Bay Square, uh, basically to be abducted. Whatever is wrong, just have her come home. Since Amy disappeared, these streets normally filled with children playing 
have been strangely quiet. I have one son. Are you scared for him? Very. Almost four months later, Amy's body was discovered. Her body was found badly decomposed by a jogger this morning. Positive identification was made this afternoon by the Cuyahoga County Coroner. My friend Janet was there crying. She says, I found a dead body up the road. Call the police. We're, we're now looking for an individual who, who has a propensity to violence, an individual who has to gain control through the use of force and violence. 30 years later, and Amy Mahalovic's remains one of the nation's most high-profile kidnapping and killing cases. But could new DNA now lead investigators to a killer? This lead will solve the case. Amy Should Be 40, a new podcast from Vault Studios. All right, so check out Amy Should Be 40. That's a new podcast from Vault Studios and WKYC Studios. If you or someone you know might have information about any of the cases that we told you about in Bardstown, please call the Nelson County Sheriff's Office or the Kentucky State Police. My thanks to Shay McAllister and Jessica Knoll. I'm Will Johnson. Real events. This was a homicide. Real investigations. As an investigator, I don't believe in coincidences. The Justice Network, the only 100% true crime broadcast network. A 24-7 lineup of true crime, investigations, and cold case files. These are signs of a serial killer in the making. Why did they do this? Why her? Visit JusticeNetworkTV.com to find us on broadcast, cable, and satellite. The Justice Network.